to begin with. Look what Paul says. He says, as servants of God, look what he says, we commend ourselves in every way in, what? Great endurance. Now, what I'm going to do is very briefly to start with, give you two examples of endurance. Now, of course, because it's me, I'm going to give you examples from World War II. That I'm not going to apologise about that. That's just me. I'm sorry. The first example of endurance is this. Many of you will know, when the Russians, uh, when the Germans tried to capture Stalingrad from the Russians, the Russians famously dug in and the Germans, despite their supremacy, froze and died in their thousands. The Germans endured the gruelling Russian winter. Uh, they didn't give in. They obeyed their orders, silly as they were, and endured, many of them, to their deaths. Their endurance then was remarkable in so many ways. Their suffering was great. The deaths that they faced, was, they were painful and they were slow. And in the letters that they wrote from the front line, uh, the German soldiers spoke with bitter and resentful tones. They endured, but they did so with gritted teeth and with envy coursing through their veins. By contrast, second example of endurance. Many of you have seen that wonderful television series, The Band of Brothers. Uh, if you haven't, why not? Um, it's a wonderful series, and it tells the story of Easy Company of the 101st Airborne Division of the American Air Force. And they, these men parachuted down over the German lines uh, in D-Day. And they didn't stop until they reached Berlin. They were never given a day off uh, until that point. Uh, they lost so many brothers along the way. Some survived, some endured to the end. Their endurance was long. Their endurance brought them to tears and still does for those that survive. In many ways, their endurance matches that remarkable endurance of the Germans in Stalingrad. But the endurance of the Americans was different in this. You see, as the American soldiers wrote home, as they dug in their holes outside Bastogne in, in January 1945, they wrote to their loved ones with hope and with joy, with encouragements, because they had a purpose. Yes, there was sorrow, yes, there was tears, yes, there was huge loss, but they endured, and they endured, the way they did it was great, because it wasn't riddled with bitterness, resentment, and envy. The Band of Brothers of World War II commended themselves to the world, they are heroes, and rightly so because of their great endurance for us. Look at Paul again. As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way in great, great endurance. In our verses today, Paul, who he describes himself as a servant, a slave of God there, is commending himself to God's church in Corinth, which he's established. And we've seen so many times before, he dearly loves them. And once again, he's having to defend himself and his ministry. And you have to ask, what's the problem here? Well, it flows very much from the passage we saw <clears throat> last week. Do you remember that we saw the, the centrally focusing on the ministry of reconciliation? Last week we saw Paul speaking of the message and the ministry of reconciliation from God. Focusing in on that wonderful verse in chapter 5, verse 21, showing us the how of we are reconciled to God. Look at it, chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's that wonderful two-way swap of the gospel. 
And Paul is clearly speaking there of those three dark hours as Jesus hung on the cross, where he became sin for us, taking on himself all the justice that my rebellion against God deserves. But more than that, it's a double swap, because if we put our faith in Jesus, we can also receive his righteousness, his right life according to the law of God. It can be credited to us, it can be imputed to us, the technical word is, if we simply would trust in him. As a result, we can be reconciled to God, and it's all his work, as we saw. And Paul then appeals to the church, as we saw at the end of the passage last week, to receive this message of reconciliation, not in vain. Don't let it wash over you. Don't ignore this eternal reconciliation offered to you with God. There's an urgency as well. He said, right at the end, now is the time. But Paul knows this church in Corinth. He loves them. Paul knows many of them. They've already responded to this, this gospel message. They're already reconciled to God in that way. Many have responded, and he urges those who, who haven't trusted in Jesus to do so. But, so therefore, what's Paul's problem as we get to the verses here today? See, the big problem in Corinth... <clears throat> is not people rejecting the gospel, but rather the big problem in Corinth is people are rejecting Paul, the messenger of the gospel. The problem is they just can't see the link between those two things. The Corinthians can't see that if they reject the messenger of the gospel, appointed and empowered by God, they are rejecting the gospel itself and the God who it's come from. And as a result, they will not be recipients of the gospel and be reconciled to God. Now, the, the reason many uh, in Corinth were rejecting Paul is that they had, an, they had a view of what an apostle should look like. They, they got a caricature in their mind, and it certainly wasn't what they saw in front of them in Paul. They thought a, an apostle of God had to be, you know, strong and impressive and healthy and rich in every way. They, could, they couldn't reconcile in their heads that, that to see someone that was so weak and who was suffering and poor and struggling in life. Weakness, you see, in Corinth, in that culture, they would have understood it as, well, God must be displeased with this man. He's so weak. He surely can't be the messenger of the gospel from God. And Paul, therefore, is having to commend himself again. But is it pains to show that his great endurance doesn't undermine him as an apostle and doesn't undermine the message that he brings, the gospel of reconciliation. Now, what we see is actually quite the opposite. Uh, so let's go to our, our first main point on our sheets there. Let's see this ministry of great endurance. As you see in verse 3, he doesn't want his life and his ministry to be a stumbling block to the, for the Corinthians. It, it shouldn't be, and nor should it discredit the message of reconciliation he brings. Rather, what we should, we should see is the opposite. That is, his great endurance should validate, it should authenticate the gospel message he proclaims. His weakness his suffering, his trials, his appearance, his life. It should be the very reason they listen to Paul rather than reject Paul. 
So Paul has this ministry of great endurance. That phrase, now that little phrase, great endurance in verse 4, have a look at it. It's followed by what we call a lot of plural descriptives, okay? Simply what that means is that the great endurance is like a title and everything else that follows kind of comes underneath that. It's like a heading for all that follows. He isn't ashamed of it, of this great endurance he's had to go through. Rather, he commends himself, as we see, to the church as a messenger of the gospel and offers this reconciliation from God. But he commends himself, I've, got, I've gone through great endurance. I, I do this with great endurance. He's not ashamed. And therefore, all that follows that phrase, great endurance, authenticates Paul and the message he proclaims. As we see in that little subpoint, a ministry of great endurance authenticated in troubles, and later we'll see in grace with graces as well. Look at halfway through verse 4. We begin to see some of the troubles of Paul's life and ministry. Look at verse 4. We commend ourselves in every way in great endurance. And then three, in troubles, in hardships and distresses. Now we'll look at those a bit more in detail in a moment. But think why this authenticates Paul's ministry. Have a think. What do you do naturally when hardship comes your way? What do you do? If you're anything like me, what do you, when hardship comes your way, what do you do? You run. You get out of there, don't you? We run from conflict and hardships and distresses, whether that's in relationships, whether that's in work, whether that's in church, in fact. We never enjoy confrontation, do we? We, really, we rarely actually want to discipline for the, kind of the, the fractiousness it might cause. And we sometimes dare not even love for fear of rejection. We are very good at running away, aren't we? Or brushing under the carpet. Hardships, troubles, distresses, they are not what we naturally gravitate towards, are they? We run from them. Which is why Paul's great endurance in making the gospel known to the Corinthians, which was experienced through hardships, troubles and distresses, should show the church that Paul is the authentic messenger of God. Why? Because the first sign of trouble, what does a fraud do? They run. They run. Now this is one of the great evidences of authentic ministry. Paul's ministry as a servant and messenger of God is authenticated in and through his great endurance. What does that look like? Troubles, hardships, distresses. Now, everything that follows within this passage, uh, if you like, adds to under the understanding of what great endurance in ministry looks like and continues to validate Paul in his ministry. And there's a rising intensity as you go through. I, heard, I guess you heard that as John read it out. There are actually 28 descriptions in all of what great endurance looks like. The first 18, you'll see they're introduced by the word in, in trials, in trouble, in, in hardship, in distresses. The next few are introduced by the word through. We'll come to those in a moment. And the last are by the word as or yet as well, mixed up in our translation. But there they are, there's three kind of groupings. Let's look at some of these troubles that authenticate Paul's ministry, though. Now, the, the first nine, interestingly, they're kind of, it's kind of three threes. Uh, look at the, we said the first three, troubles, hardships, and distresses. You might call those kind of general troubles in Paul's life. Then the next three, in beatings and imprisonments and in riots. We call those 
You might say they're troubles from other people, aren't they? Other troubles that are inflicted on Paul. And look at the next three. Hard work, sleepless nights, hunger. Now that's Paul's responsibility. You might say they're self-inflicted troubles. One early church father, when he wrote about this, he said um, he described Paul's life and ministry as a blizzard of troubles. And you can you see what that's going out there, can't you? But we shouldn't be surprised at this. I mean, Jesus himself in John 16, 33, warned his disciples and his followers that they should expect hardships in this world. Now, Paul and all the apostles, wherever you turn, there's an expectation of troubles and hardships as a follower of Jesus Christ, as you proclaim Jesus Christ. So in Acts 14, for example, Paul in, in, in Antioch said, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. But we must not run. The authentic follower of Christ trusts God in and through the troubles, the hardships and the stresses. And which is exactly what Paul has done. Let's think about those troubles from others for just a moment. In verse 5, beatings, imprisonments and riots. Now Paul's CV of these three alone could go on for pages and pages and pages. We could just turn to account after account after account where he was beaten, imprisoned, and kind of was chased out of cities and towns with rioting people after him. Again and again and again. Later on in 2 Corinthians, for example, in chapter 11, verse 23, he doesn't list beatings individually. I, I, I find this slightly amusing in, a, in, a, in an odd way, but he doesn't list his beatings individually. He just simply says he's received countless beatings. And it's difficult to comprehend, isn't it, how you lose count uh, of something so awful and painful in your life. Now, you see... What have I lost count of? I've lost count of the amount of clotted cream teas that I've eaten as someone who was born in Devon. That is what my family did every week, nearly every day, I think. I, I've lost count of how many times I've eaten a huge clotted cream tea. But I haven't lost count. I know exactly how many bones I've broken in my body and how many operations I've had. You see, th they are memorable because they are painful and infrequent. Paul, just countless beatings. It's extraordinary. But all of this is he adds to authenticate his ministry. He didn't give up. He didn't get to the 10th beating, which would have kind of taken him right to the edge of his life. He didn't get to the 10th and go, okay, boys, yeah, you've won. I, I, that's enough. I'm not doing this again. I'm, I'm off down to the coast and I'll retire there. No. He didn't get to the fifth riot that kind of people vying for his blood, chasing him out of a town, throwing rocks. And he didn't get to the fifth and go, oh, yeah, I'm not going to do that again. That was a bit close, wasn't it? No, he kept going. He wasn't fraud. Likewise, his own personal endurance is, is so remarkable, it continues to authenticate him as an apostle of God. Look, hard work, sleepless nights, hunger. These are self-inflicted troubles Testimony to a man that was intensely determined to make the saving gospel of Jesus Christ known. To keep preaching, we know that Paul was a tent maker. Financially, he needed to do that. And he would stay up all night to make tents, to keep himself going so he could preach the gospel the following day. His passion, his energy was relentless. It truly was, as that early church father said, a blizzard of troubles. 
But his suffering, you see, and troubles don't disqualify him from ministry. Quite the opposite. He is the authentic messenger of God, preaching the authentic gospel message from God. And if he wasn't the real thing, if his message wasn't the real thing, there's no way that he would go through all of this. And that is why Paul commends himself in every way, in great endurance. He isn't ashamed. He doesn't try and hide this from the church. He doesn't try and kind of push his suffering away so that no one can see it in his life. We do that, don't we? We do that. Oh, of course, there's wisdom in not telling everybody everything about your life, but many of us are so far in our Britishness, way off the other end of the spectrum, that no one knows anything about us. We don't tend to speak about to anything about our lives to anyone else. I wonder if you realise what people are missing out on. Perhaps we dare to speak about the gospel with friends and colleagues, and although the message of the gospel is what they need to hear for salvation, have you ever seen that, very interestingly, isn't it, it's often only when my friends see the gospel being lived out in me, as they see the gospel hope that we have through and in the midst of trials and troubles, it's then that the lights come on. It's then that they see this is real and true and life-changing. I mean, how do you respond to things like pressure at work? How do you cope when, when you, know, you go through a relationship breakup or, or, or trials in a relationship? How do you get through the death of a loved one? You see, we can defend the logic and, the, and the, the effect of the gospel all we want. And often what our friends want to be able to see is it lived out. It applied to our work lives, our, our home lives, our, our family lives, everywhere. In and through the tough times. Why? Because it shows authenticity. If we can endure through the trials and hardships and simply show to everyone around us that Jesus is enough, that the gospel is sufficient, well, that speaks so loudly to them. You know, if you lose your, lose your job, what, what do your friends need to hear? They need to say, I don't need that job. Jesus is enough. When you don't have, perhaps, your life doesn't map out in a way, and you, you have the family that you particularly wanted uh, or longed for, you know, what do your friends need to see? They need to see that Jesus is enough for you. What if you don't end up perhaps married or in a relationship that you want, or you don't have the health that you long for, or you don't get to travel in the places that you just dreamed about, or, you know, kind of put on. Yeah, various social media and say, oh, I go there. what if your plans just don't work out? What do your friends need to hear? They need to hear that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. And so Paul has commended his ministry of great endurance and it is authenticated <coughs> in and through his troubles. Interesting now, Paul flips it around the other way a bit uh, in verse 6 and, and 7. He, he lists more internal works. 
works of God's grace in his life. Graces, I put down in our title there, that commend his ministry. Look at verse 6. In purity and understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. Notice how the Holy Spirit is mentioned right in the centre of that little list. It's to show that what Paul is commending now in his life is not natural. It is a work of God by his Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within his heart. We've seen that, haven't we, in just the previous chapter, that we are now new creations because of God's work in us. And so he's enduring, not with grit and determination, being bitter and resentful. His endurance is great. Yes? Because it's been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Oh, this pain, that's the reality. But in that pain and that trial, there is sweetness and joy as the Spirit enables him and empowers him to live as a new creation. Oh, Christians, uh, let's, let's just be honest here for a moment. We can endure just like every single other person, embittered, angry and frustrated We're prone to self-pity and self-righteousness. We become envious of those who have what we want. That is endurance. But it's not great endurance. Because great endurance authenticates and validates and promotes the gospel. Great endurance shows the world that whatever you are going through, however it seems that your life hasn't mapped out as you want it to be, great endurance just simply shouts to the world around you, Jesus is enough. What is at the heart of great endurance? Look at verse 7. Weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. Do you remember that verse? Memory verse from last week? Said a bit tongue in cheek, but chapter 5, verse 21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, again, if we trusted Jesus, we can have his righteousness, his right, perfect life, counted, credited to us. We are definitively counted as righteous before God if we put our trust in Jesus. We are saved by that. But Paul's point here is. That should then pour out of our lives. Which is what we see in verse 6 and 7. Purity, understanding, patience, kindness, sincere love, truthful speech. It is the righteousness, the holiness of our lives pouring out for everyone to see. And notice it is a weapon. A weapon against sin as we put on that righteousness of life. It puts off, as Colossians 3 says, that sinful attributes of our lives. It's a weapon because it enables us to live with great endurance despite our circumstances. It's a weapon to commend the gospel and us as messengers of the gospel. Now all that follows continues to authenticate the gospel and Paul as that gospel messenger. Let's move now lastly to, well, second to lastly to verse 8 to 10. Again, authentication, but now through. Through a life of contrast, I've put there. Let's read verse 8 to 10 to remind us of it again. He speaks of, through glory and dishonour, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying, and yet we live on, beaten and not yet killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, 
poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. Nine paradoxes or antitheses, or I put it on our title, like just contrast to make it simple. And it, it, do you notice, it's very rhythmic, isn't it? It's up and down, up and back and forth. One part of each represents an evaluation of Paul's ministry from a human point of view. And the other part is simply the view of someone who is in Christ, the reality. His critics in Corinth hold Paul in dishonour, bad report as an imposter, as unknown, the list goes on. And then they aren't wrong in a way. That's how Paul's life would appear in such a culture. And they're looking at him with worldly standards in some ways. Judged by the world. What, who Paul was, he was a mess. He was doing a bit of a duffer job. You know, he's a, he's a bit of a nobody. And we could look at each of these contrasts in detail. Each of them is very illuminating. Each is true of Paul from a worldly perspective, as well as the perspective of one being in Christ. And he, he's continuing to make these contrasts known to commend himself, to authenticate himself and the gospel that he proclaims. Let's just look at one or two briefly. This is my, uh, the tattoo I'll never get, suffering yet always rejoicing. His life was riddled with trials and afflictions, yet empowered by the Holy Spirit in his heart. As a new creation, he could, despite his circumstances, rejoice. As he commands the Philippian church, Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Why? Because he's in Christ. He's bound for heaven. His eyes are fixed on the glory to come. Life can throw anything at him. All those beatings, those riots, the imprisonments, anything. Life can throw it all at him, countless times and time again, but always rejoicing. See, the weight of glory to come was greater than the weight of suffering or affliction or hardship that he was facing at that moment. Any moment. The weight of glory to come is always going to be greater. Suffering yet always rejoicing. Known and yet regarded as unknown, Paul was treated as someone unknown. He was overlooked and in, in reality he had been appointed by God and saved by God. He was utterly known, completely known. I don't know about you, but maybe you've felt overlooked at times, maybe at work amongst a group of friends, treated as unknown. It's helpful to know because that might be the worldly, the human perspective. You're a bit of an unknown person. But if you're a Christian here today, if you're in Christ, if you're a new creation, do you realise, as Paul realised, God knows you better than you know yourself, more intimately, more passionately. You are known. You are known. And you will be for eternity. Whatever it looks like to the watching world, you are known. Look at that other one, bad report, good report. If, you see, if you dare to tell anyone about the Lord Jesus Christ in this culture in which we live, yes, they will feel challenged, and often they will think poorly of you. They, you will be held in bad reports sometimes. The flip side of that, 
as, you view, as God views you as someone who's in Christ, a new creation, do you realise that the reality is God will see you and will be wonderfully pleased that you've dared to share the good news? You'll be held in good report. Now look at that other one, poor yet making many rich. It does help us think about our priorities, doesn't it, when it comes to how we use the money that we have. All of these, they're so challenging, aren't they? We could go more, but Paul had great endurance. Uh, he endured with, with a spirit-given grace, and therefore, what does his endurance look like? Oh, to the critical human eye, it's in a very negative way, isn't it? But in reality, his great endurance was in some ways triumphant, which would have also been noticed. And look how Paul's great endurance was triumphant. To take all the positives, he knew the glory and the good report of God. He was genuine, known intimately by God, knowing eternal life, always rejoicing, making many rich by proclaiming the gospel to them and possessing everything as he brought the, brought the gospel to those he loved. This is the ministry of Paul, the ministry of great endurance. I wonder... How do you and I go about life and, the, and, and our ministries that we are called to? Whether that be in the workplace, amongst friends, family, amongst neighbours. I wonder, do people look at you and do they see that you are in Christ as a new creation? Do they see that righteousness and holiness of life just pouring out of you? Do they see you suffering? Oh, in all different ways, I'm sure. Do they see you suffering and yet always rejoicing? Do they see someone who lives for Christ with great endurance? If not, what do they see? As we finish, let's look at these last three verses very quickly. To see how Paul opens up his heart. Just notice it as we read through it. Verse 11. We've spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and open wide our hearts to you. We are not worth withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. Oh, we've seen how Paul endures, haven't we? And how that authenticates him and validates the gospel message he proclaims. But he doesn't leave the church in Corinth guessing. They know his life inside and out. He's spoken freely to them. He's opened wide his heart to them. Not withholding affection from them. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? That opening up his heart is to not withhold affection. But the same could be said for the church in Corinth. And my question is, could the same be said for us? Don't hide away through trials. Don't hide the beautiful work of God's Spirit in you in and through trials. Don't let us and others miss out on seeing you and being reminded daily that Jesus is enough. <clears throat> Endure with integrity. Endure 
always rejoicing with that triumphant spirit pouring out of your life as you cling to Jesus. My friends, open wide your hearts. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, many of us, uh, we live a very blessed life. Many of us don't know really trials of many kinds. We, I guess none of us have been beaten and faced riots against us. But we will all, if not now, face moments where we need to endure through this life. And if we don't, then I guess... May this be an encouragement for us to proclaim the Lord Jesus and the Gospel. Because I guess then we will know what it is to endure. May we have great endurance. May we show through that that Jesus is enough. And may see, people see you pouring out of our lives in and through those difficult times such that they would be commended to the Gospel. Amen. Um.